Shabbat Shalom. It was December when I was first introduced to the stone guy. Until December, I thought that stone guys were in construction. You know, if you wanted to renovate your home, you look for a stone guy. If you want to rebuild a staircase, you look for a stone guy. If you want to replace a countertop, you look for a stone guy. If you want to redo your fireplace, you look for a stone guy, maybe an Italian Carrara stone guy. I've even heard of Israeli stone guys, specialists who supply that Jerusalem stone for the facade of buildings. We have a Jerusalem stone in the building, in the facade of our building, the cornerstone of Stephen Wise, brought back by Rabbi Wise himself from one of his trips to Israel, Palestine. I always assumed that stone guys were in construction, real estate, or art. Michelangelo was a stone guy. You can imagine my surprise to learn that there are doctors who are stone guys too. And honestly, I would have preferred to have remained blissfully unaware of this fact and never had the dubious privilege of meeting medically trained stone guys. It was in December that my doctor told me to go to a stone guy, a colleague of his, and he meant by that a kidney stone guy. <laughs> my pain didn't start slowly. It wasn't a gradual buildup. It didn't creep up on me. There was no warning. It was all at once, bang, like my back was exploding. I was fine when I stepped into the cab at 10 minutes to 10 after dinner with friends. When we arrived home by 10 o'clock, I was completely incapacitated. I knew it was a kidney stone from the moment I felt the waves pain crashing upon the jetty of my lower back. After trying to wait it out and wash it out, writhing in agony, my wife and I finally walked over to Lenox Hill at 12.50 a.m. I hardly remember anything except that on 77th and 3rd, some lonely guy asked me where was the nearest all-night bar. <laughs> I think that's right anyway. I can't really trust my memory because within 30 minutes, I was floating on a drug-induced cloud of intravenous pain medicine. I think the nurse told me that they tried morphine, but it didn't work. So they gave me something else. I asked several times what that was, and she answered several times, but for the life of me, I can't remember what she said. I just remember they tried morphine and it didn't work? Really? How does that happen? Morphine didn't work? Morphine always works. Either way, I didn't care. I was lost in a drug-induced stupor. 
like Norman Roth's Purim Spiel. For those of you who were there, Rabbi Jack has gotten high tonight and taken to his special island. He's gotten by tonight just a little push and I was smiling. <laughs> Two shots of that stuff dulled the pain enough to go home that morning with a newfound appreciation of the power of intravenous drug medication. <laughs> An interesting and even enticing compensation for all that suffering. I can tell you from my experience, for that kind of pain, nothing works except directly into your veins. I tried. Forget about it. How did people before us survive without pain medication? How did our great-grandparents, you know, those ancient human beings, how did they live without Demerol or Oxycodone? The answer is very precariously. I really do identify now with biblical poets and prophets Jeremiah said, Ani Adonai, bochem klayot. I, God, test the kidneys. <laughs> the psalmist wrote, Naseni kleotai. Test my kidneys, O God. Why the kidneys? Today, we know all about the science of kidneys. We know what they do. We know what they look like. They're not very romantic or mysterious, but in antiquity, the kidneys were the seat of our temperament, emotions, vigor, and wisdom. These were the organs that guided our moral judgment. Before MRIs, kidneys were mysterious. They lay deep inside of our bodies, but they are not beyond God's examination. I guess from this perspective, God is the ultimate stone guy. <laughs> Hence, before the modern era, kidneys were the human organs that God examined. God afflicts the kidneys in consequence of some moral lapse, which worried me a lot because I've studied the Bible. And I wondered, what did I do wrong? Perhaps I was unduly harsh to one of our congregants or one of our colleagues. Even in Shakespeare's time, Falstaff uses the term, a man of my kidney, by which he means a man of my temperament and emotional makeup. I have to believe that all these ancient writers knew what it was like to have a kidney stone. Because otherwise, we don't ever really feel our kidneys. They're just there. We take them for granted. We never think of them or even know that they're there until they start acting up. And that's the case even today. In the past few months, whenever I speak with men about kidney stones, I've discovered that everyone seems to have had one or knows someone who has had a kidney stone. And here I thought that I was the only New Yorker to have had a kidney stone. 
ever. There is this unique male bonding that takes place when a man hears that his fellow has had a kidney stone. At the first mention of kidney stone, men wince knowingly with that awkward, manly, male recognition that passes for sympathy. <laughs> men think that the pain of a kidney stone is the male equivalent to childbirth. I don't think so. <laughs> Men in general have a lower threshold for pain than women. That's been my experience going all the way back to my military days. In fact, when I was in the IDF, Doctors would observe and monitor women who seemed to endure stress, pain, and sleep deprivation better than men. I wouldn't know, Len, but I think there is no comparable pain to childbirth. That's what I think. But men need to persuade themselves that there is, you mean a girl can endure more pain than me? And honestly, the very thought of a kidney stone sends so many men into a journey of fear and anxiety that it has almost become an exclusively male thing. Who even hears of women speaking of kidney stones? Until recently, I didn't even know that women could get kidney stones. In fact, till recently, I didn't even know that women had kidneys. <laughs> Here's the religious point. Pain distorts everything. When we are in intense pain, our only business is with ourselves. Nothing matters to us but relieving the pain. There is no goodness, no morals, no consideration, no generosity, no compassion, no love, no wisdom, no pleasure. There is nothing but pain. If we are in pain, nothing else matters. If we are in pain, nothing overcomes that. Not even our intellect. There is no opportunity for philosophy. Shakespeare wrote, there never was yet a philosopher who could endure the toothache. Pain makes us feel powerless and helpless. Causes us to be dependent. Dependent on others. Dependent on drugs. It makes people narrow-minded and self-centered, my body assumes unreasonable proportions. It becomes the most important thing in the universe. The world is no longer ours to travel and explore. We are constrained to a room or a bed. We lose what all creatures need for emotional and physical well-being, a sense of freedom and mobility. 
pain causes you to feel in some surreal way that your body isn't even yours. You do not possess a body. A body possesses you. And it gives us premonitions of mortality. Pain is death's customary forerunner. Because of this, religious thought has tried to discern redeeming qualities to pain. Jewish sages conceived of a concept called Yisurea Hava, the agonies, the pains, the sufferings of love. Undeserved and unrelenting pain was considered a sign of God's love, a way of self-improvement. Undeserved suffering was redemptive in the world to come. Our sacrifices would be repaid with eternal reward. Alternatively, the sages considered pain, both physical and emotional, to be deserved. We did something to deserve this affliction. If a man sees that painful sufferings visit him, let him examine his conduct, said Rabbah. Let us search and try our ways and return to God. But even the rabbis were not satisfied with this response. It was religious orthodoxy, but even they were uncomfortable with this approach, both from an intellectual as well as an emotional perspective. It contradicted what they observed. There were many people in the world who endured undeserved agony. And so alongside religious orthodoxy, Jewish sages convey this astonishing lesson. Rabbi Yochanan once fell ill, and Rabbi Hanina went to visit him. Rabbi Hanina said to Rabbi Yochanan, are your sufferings welcome to you? He replied, neither my sufferings nor their reward in eternity are welcome to me. Rabbi Hanina said, give me your hand. He gave him his hand, and he healed him. Rabbi Hanina offered the only convincing response to Rabbi Yochanan's suffering. He gave him his hand. He reached out to him. He touched him. He comforted him. He empathized with him. Jews believe that healing comes from fellow human beings. I am convinced that that is the reason that there are so many Jewish doctors and scientists. <laughs> At the moment of his suffering, Rabbi Yochanan, who was a master of Jewish philosophy, who probably taught his whole life about eternal rewards for suffering, at that moment when he was in pain, he, among the most learned of scholars, was not interested in Jewish dogma or philosophy. He was interested in not speculating about the so-called eternal rewards of suffering in this world or the next. He just wanted to be released from the pain. At that moment of his agony, 
There were no redeeming qualities to his suffering. And he didn't want to hear about what might be done to ensure eternal reward or what he might have done in his past to deserve this suffering. He just wanted the pain to go away. The sages asked one more question. Why couldn't Rabbi Yochanan heal himself? And they answer with this beautifully cryptic response. The prisoner cannot free himself from prison. When we are imprisoned in emotional, psychic, or physical pain, we cannot heal ourselves. The prisoner cannot free herself from prison. We need others who are not imprisoned by suffering to come and to free us. We need others who are not bound and shackled by the chains of pain to unlock the doors of our anguish and deliver us from the tyranny of torture. We need others to lift the stone of suffering and the rock of wreckage. The sages sometimes even describe God as suffering with us through the pain we endure. The touch of a human hand, not the philosophy of eternal reward, is Judaism's best response to pain and suffering. He said to him, give me your hand. He gave him his hand, and he healed him.